0: Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C. with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor, David Remnick will provide you with insightful
1: storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Before we get to the show, I want to tell you about another podcast that you're going to love. Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle brings you the daily realities of life inside prison, shared by those living it and stories from the outside post incarceration. They're just wrapping up their sixth season, which covers topics like COVID 19 and San Quentin Prison, parents in prison, and stories of life in the vehicles that drive people to and between prisons. You can listen and subscribe at earhustlesq.com or wherever you get your podcasts i'm jason kander and this is majority 54. the podcast that helps americans who voted for progress convince those who didn't to join our majority i am very excited about our very special guest so much so that i'm a little bit nervous even though she used to be on the podcast all the time uh, my wife diana is here say hello hello and i will give you a proper introduction uh which is to say diana is a very accomplished innovation uh consultant and a speaker who specializes in in helping uh, leaders drive innovation within their organizations. She is a best-selling author. She has written twice as many books as me, which is say she's written two. And what am I leaving out? Your mother of my children um, and smarter than me. Uh, And uh, she helps with this podcast. She helps helps us uh, in many different ways. And now she's gonna help us on air. Ravi, I'm just babbling about my wife. You should take over. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, uh, Diana has been instrumental to this podcast just in the brief time I've been involved in it. So I'm really excited to bring her on board uh, and put her on air again because I know before I came uh, she used to do the ads from what I understand and Jason and I have been hopelessly trying to keep up ever since and reading the ads is actually the most nerve-wracking part of my week every week. So <laughs> feel free feel free to come back anytime and continue to do the ads, but uh, in more serious news we had uh, an insurrection at the capitol last week the the day we taped two episodes and uh, unfortunately five people died from that incident and many more were injured The acting U.S. attorney for D.C. has said that we now have over 70 people charged, over 170 open cases stemming from that incident, and over 100,000 digital tips that they're sorting through. Uh, And the FBI has issued warnings that uh, they expect armed protests at potentially all 50 state capitals in the days ahead. Uh, And the big news of the day is that as we're speaking, the House is holding hearings on an article of impeachment. Uh, that accuses the president of inciting the insurrection. Uh, And this article of impeachment should pass uh, largely on party lines, but not completely on party lines. So just as background, the last impeachment, which wasn't too long ago, was completely party line vote in the House. Uh, We are expecting at least five members of the GOP House caucus to vote for impeachment, including Liz Cheney, uh, who said that never... Has there been a greater betrayal by the president of the United States? And just as background before I kick it to you two, uh, once the House votes, they have to decide if and when to send charges to the Senate. Schumer has called on McConnell to take up these articles of impeachment before the 19th, uh, which is when the Senate uh, was planned to come back into session, which is the day before the inauguration. And it's totally up to McConnell whether he uses emergency powers to do that. If he doesn't, then... The earliest this trial could begin is on the 19th, which is the day before inauguration and the day before Democrats take control of the Senate. Uh, Jason and Diana, um, what do we think about the prospects of impeachment? And do we think it's uh, the rationale makes sense?
1: I don't know how anybody who has either watched or read the speech that the president gave at the Stop the Steal rally how you could observe that speech and not think that he should be impeached and i feel that way about all the gop leaders who have been hiding their head in the sand for the last four years and trying not to hear or read as much as possible so uh, i found a excellent long thread by seth abramson online that i I sent to jason i was like you have to read this it's a line-by-line breakdown of the speech and how it incited the violence and for anybody who thinks we should just move on and unite, they really need to read that speech.
2: I have been saying for the last couple of weeks, like to family and friends that I think that they are going to impeach and remove. And everybody's been telling me that that's crazy and and that that prediction is wildly way out there. And maybe that'll prove to be right. But I mean, now we're seeing reports that McConnell is is saying, like, let's just move on from him, which... I think makes a lot of sense politically for the Republicans. It makes a lot of sense morally for the Republicans. Not that that's like a chief consideration for McConnell or, or a lot of people in his caucus, unfortunately, but it makes a lot of practical sense. And also I think personally for McConnell, I think McConnell has had to deal with this guy for four years and he's just like, you know, he's lost the majority leader position. I don't think he's probably going to finish his term. I assume he's going to resign at some point because he doesn't want to be minority leader. I don't know if he has it in him to put in the work of the two years it'll take to recruit the candidates to raise the money to try and take the majority back. So I don't know if he goes that long. So I think he's kind of like, screw it. I'm done. Let's impeach this guy and and convict him so that it's not a black mark on me. Like that's maybe I'm going to be proven completely naive and idealistic in a time that that that's not called for. But that's what I think, Robbie. What about you?
0: Yeah, I I urge our listeners, you know, normally I wouldn't recommend reading a a House bill, uh, but this is actually only three pages. And if you read it, you'll see it's a very simple case. It it cites two different things. Uh, As Diana talked about it, it cites the president's speech, that morning to his supporters, which we'll we'll spend some more time talking about a little bit later in the pod. Uh and then it also cites his uh January 2nd call to the Georgia Secretary of State in which he uh urged uh the Secretary of State of Georgia to find enough votes to overturn that election. Um and I actually think that it's an even tighter case on the second one. I think they're both pretty tight, but in the second one it's a criminal violation in addition to, you know, a breach of the high crimes and misdemeanors, right? Like, and I think there's, like, there's also Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which says that uh, uh, elected officials in the United States can't be engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the United States, right? Uh, And I think that, I think Trump is guilty on both counts. I think it's so much, so obvious on the Georgia stuff that he was trying to break the law and find votes, like almost like an old school Chicago politician You know, I I can't see how the GOP, I'm with Diane, I can't see how members of the GOP can say that they're for the rule of law and not vote for this impeachment.
2: I also think that there's an element here, right or wrong, of they felt afraid for their lives and they're pissed. Ultimately, I feel like the tiebreaker here is the fact that he didn't have that he didn't like have these people go tear down the Washington Monument or I'm not suggesting he should have done any of these things like, but I think it would have been a very different situation if he had had these people go and harm somebody else in some other place. It would have been just as horrible, just as morally reprehensible and clearly would not have gotten the same reaction from members of the GOP, because the fact is like, these people felt like and they were right that their lives were at risk and the president did that. And that I think that may be a difference here.
1: I'm gonna counterpoint.
2: Okay. That's, that's as we what this do in our for. house.
1: And say the reason they're not gonna vote for it is because they're afraid for their lives now. And if you saw the video of how Lindsey Graham was treated on his return at the airport, um, I'm scared on their behalf. And that's a really, you know, scary situation when they're thinking about their own lives and their families on how to take a vote.
0: This is this is perhaps the most important discussion, not just of this week, but moving forward is we've entered a new phase in this polarization, as we call it, which seems too quaint a word at this point to describe what's happening in this country. Uh, And obviously, depending on where you live and who you are, threats of violence are, are more have been more of a mainstay in your life. Than just the past few weeks, but I think this was the first time in our country that that violence has made its way in this you know in this kind of way to the the halls of government and I was left thinking to myself that the this mission of this pod, which is still important and one that I still believe in is is not sufficient like there are these conversations now like what do you do when your th- safety is threatened not just when somebody uses words that you disagree with these are like things that we need to think about more and more over time and you know merely anchoring a good conversation in the in the same in shared values isn't going to get you out of a situation where somebody's trying to throw you down steps and drag you to your death uh and so i was left considering solutions options infrastructure that I hadn't been thinking about before. What about you two?
1: I think you're totally right. I was thinking this week, you know, like how do you make conversation with somebody who's been radicalized? At that point, now we're talking about like using cult framework to try to cleanse somebody from all the propaganda that has infiltrated their brains. And uh, cults are one of my favorite subjects. (laughs) I love to study them. But like at this point with some people and, um, because there's been such a huge platform to radicalize more and more people with propaganda, some people are very difficult to have rational conversations with. You have to make a different tactic of of how to get them out of that place and out of that mindset
2: it 's a conversation that is increasingly being had in the veteran community because so many of us are so upset to see how many you know veterans were a part of the mob that stormed the capitol. And what it's made me think about is I have no idea whether veterans are are more susceptible to this sort of radicalization or not, or if it just feels that way because every time one is involved, it makes the news. I don't know, but I do know that anybody whose life has changed in such a way that they feel isolated and no longer have a sense of belonging, which is what happens to a lot of us when we leave the service, whether you went overseas or not. I do know that that makes you more susceptible to falling in with a group of people who you might not otherwise fall in with. If, you know, if you're given a sense of purpose and belonging, even if it's one that, you know, in your right mind, you would not have fallen in for. And so, yeah, I think, I think you're right that it is about whatever the usual tactics are. If they're more like intervention type tactics to try and remove people from falling in with a cult, like that's part of what we need to learn about. But I also think that for the people listening, our most immediate responsibility is to focus on the hope and the idealism of those of us who are like-minded, which is the vast majority of the country. I mean, the vast, not just like the people who voted for progress in the last election. I mean, the vast majority of the country is like, it is not okay to try to overthrow the government, right? Like the overwhelming majority. And the people in that category, we are feeling right now, like we're not the overwhelming majority. And I think it's really important to remind each other that It doesn't have to go this direction and we're not outnumbered by these people and so i think focusing on that and injecting hope and idealism into into the rest of us and it i think it reminds me of another reason why i think it's so important that impeachment and and removal occur which is that going forward i saw somebody say this online and i thought it was brilliant going forward i want our kids when they study american history i want them to ask the teacher wait why was mike pence president for two days because I want our kids to learn about fascism and I want them to learn about what can happen and how fragile democracy is.
0: One thing, though, that worries me is you know, never, I hadn't really thought in a little while about just what happens when our government is overwhelmed by people using like a militia carve out in the Constitution to then take up arms against the government and like an egregious misreading of our history. What do we do in that situation is the sort of big question I've been asking myself, you know? I think
2: that it's another reason why it's so important to lay down this historical marker of uh, impeachment and conviction. But if that doesn't happen, now, this is not what we as regular citizens do. But I think as far as the next, ju- the incoming Justice Department, which this has already started because, you know, the FBI and the lower levels of the Justice Department have already started it the arrests and the prosecutions and the convictions for sedition are vital, including if that evidence leads to conspiracies that involved members of Congress, that chain of evidence has to be pursued. And if the case is there, the prosecution has to be made. And maybe that sounds like a no-brainer, but there is an, a, a natural instinct here to say, we don't want to go in what could seem like a banana republic direction we don't want to have the administration change and then you have prosecutions of the of people who didn't vote the way that things went no this is not that this is different the people out there who have these arsenals and and think that this is a uh, a logical extension of american politics need to understand that you'll go to prison and you'll go for a really long time because it's pretty clear that the people who stormed the capitol I I get no indication that they thought that they were sort of martyrs for the cause who were going to do this and then yeah okay I'll spend I'll spend many years in prison but it's worth it I don't think that they thought that was going to happen at all because it's reasonable with Trump in office and if you believe you're going to keep him in office to think that'll never happen and so I think part of this is making sure people making sure those people understand like no you'll go to prison because it makes you an enemy of the United States and you'll be treated as such
1: so I was born in the Soviet Union and not. Russia, but the the Soviet Union. I was born in the Ukraine, but it was all part of one place. They kind of just took over. But I I will tell you that not all human beings want to live in a democracy and not all bad guys wear a dictator lapel pin. A lot of them hide in democratic uh, ideals. So currently, Russia is a democracy and...
2: In air quotes for the audio audience.
1: Yes. And... (laughs) The people who are in charge really like it the way that it is. And so, I just think a lot of people take for granted how many other people are along with them. Like, I think that's the confirmation bias on our side that we just assume everybody wants to live in a democracy because we haven't asked them.
2: You know, it's interesting you say that because for those listening a little more of the story, Diana escaped the Soviet Union as a refugee of religious persecution at the age of seven and came to the united states and so in the run-up to this election you kept saying to me that you were really worried about this happening
1: i said it four years ago i said i'm worried this is the last election we're ever gonna have and jason was like that's ridiculous and i was like i don't know i've seen it
2: yeah i'll admit like i i was um i don't know that i said that's ridiculous um because I love you, and I don't it's your speak show. to you that sure, way. Sure, sure. <laughs> anyway, I may have said that's ridiculous, but I'm sure I said it in a more loving tone. Of course. Um, but I was very, <laughs> you know, I I was very skeptical of all that, and I was sort of, I thought it was inflammatory. I I wasn't saying this time around. I was not saying no. There's no way there'll be violence, but clearly, like this was less of a surprise to you than it was to me, and I do think that has a lot to do with having escaped a place like, this, like
1: also- that. Also. Out of all the people that we knew, I don't want to keep harping on this, but I was the first one to say Donald Trump's going to win from the moment he announced his candidacy because I come from a country where people love a strong man, like a person to get behind and they want to be behind a winner. And I just saw the way that he was speaking and people were reacting to him.
0: It's more widespread than, than you think. Like I've had more conversations with people over the course of the past week or overheard them where people are talking about joining militias. People are spinning all kinds of conspiracy theories about what happened at the Capitol, which we'll talk about in a little bit. You know, and even my dad and, you know, he, I recorded a podcast with my dad a couple of years ago at the beginning of the Trump presidency, and he was, he did it on air, so he, he, he would be comfortable with me sharing this, is I asked him uh, when Trump mentions that he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and his supporters would continue to support him, are you one of those supporters? And he said, yes. And then I was texting with him this week about what happened and I won't share the content too much, but needless to say, we have a different belief about this country and, and I think it, I lost it with him and I, and I don't know when I'll come out the other side of it. It's just that I think we're at a different stage now uh, with certain people. I wouldn't say all people who are conservatives or Republicans, but there are there is a segment and it's bigger than I'd be comfortable with of people who hold views that are dangerous. Now not I don't mean dangerous like the way like people say like you know like this idea could lead to that idea to that idea which maybe eventually could lead to some society I don't want like the the conversation we had with Yuri. Uh no this I mean like dangerous like like if somebody came to arrest me tomorrow, you know, in, in Trump's uh FBI under some trumped up political charge, I don't think my dad would support me. Uh and that's the kind of country that we live in. Um, and that's and maybe he would support me because i'm I'm his son, but if it were my friend, you know, and I don't even know if he'd support me because I'm his son, but he certainly wouldn't support somebody who who would be my colleague at work just they because they're my colleague at work, and that's that's a dangerous place to be as a country, you know um this is
2: just really sad, Robbie, and I'm sorry,
0: yeah, you know, and i i this because I don't want our, our our audience to think that we're just these jolly people who are like, just keep having the conversation like I'm done, I told my dad. I told him very seriously, I don't want to speak to him anymore. And I meant it and I mean it. And I don't see myself changing my mind unless he decides to leave the cult. You know, there was a person there at one point who I really admired. And that person is gone. There's this book by Lawrence Wright about Scientology, about how people dealt with family members who joined Scientology. And basically, you just kind of have to wait. Like you have to wait for them to leave on their own terms you know and that's kind of how i see it right now and it could be forever but i'm not speaking to a person who's rational when i'm dealing with my father he's not my brother he's not other people i know who may have voted one way or another like he he believes every single thing that this president says and if the president says go chop somebody's head off and a bunch of people do it my dad's gonna find a justification for that
2: yeah no there's no responsibility to try and bring back people who are that far gone. I think for the people listening that if anything the opportunity is to try to prevent people from being radicalized. And and part of that is by making sure that we we frame all this as as separate uh from like traditional American political discourses. We can't
1: Robbie, I'm not going to I'm not trying to argue with you about your decision, but <laughs> as somebody who studies cults as a hobby, like I watch every documentary on every cult This is one of my favorite topics. One of the reasons that people stay in cults for so long is because like part of it is to isolate yourself from the people that you love. And so they feel like they have no connection to the outside world. And so they have to stay in this group that they've committed themselves to, even though it feels weird. So I'm not challenging you or pushing you. I'm just giving you a counterpoint to say we have to be a lifeline. Like you don't have to agree with him, but... Just still love somebody in an unconditional way and just say, I I love you. And I'm here whenever you want to talk about not that, uh, but just to be their path back. If they don't have that, uh, then they'll just stay forever.
2: Or you don't have to offer to talk to them if you don't want to. It could just be, I love you. And when you are ready to stop doing this, I'm here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've just run out of energy to be honest. And, I, and yeah, that's I know, okay, I think. I totally hear you. And I think, obviously, you know, our listeners have heard me talk enough about this. There's more layers to that relationship. Uh, and, you know, there's something I said a few podcasts back that I, I've been reminding myself of this week, which is sometimes it's not about the thing. Like sometimes you freak out at your spouse, not because they didn't pick up their laundry, but because something else. Is, Pissed you off about it, and I'm trying to untangle the complicated psychology of it all, which is something I've advised our audience of when I was in my sober, unemotional state where I was advising them. Whereas now I'm blinded by rage. Like I, I, it's now a week later, and I, I'm no less angry. I'm not getting sleep about this, and I, I think about our country, and I'm just so sad because I view it as our shared experience. I think about my brother and my dad and all of us at 4th of July parades together and waving the same flag together. And you know, what used to be a cute, cool, you know, Carville, Matlin dis- like debate has now descended into an existential debate a- that- about our safety uh, and about foundational principles. And it's, it's, it's overwhelming,
2: you know? No, man, it's heartbreaking. You, you shared some of the, texts with me and like like for me my perspective i didn't even really think about it from your perspective so much as i thought about it from his because i'm a dad and i thought i can't understand it i can't ever envision disagreeing with my son about anything so much that i'd be willing to sacrifice the relationship even even if i like he's wrong but like even if he were right like if if true If true kills people and is on death row, like I'm going to go visit him and tell him I love him. like So I don't even understand, which I don't think he's going to do that. But so I just couldn't, I couldn't see it from his perspective. So I get it, man. I, I mean, I don't get it, but it's heartbreaking
0: yeah, well, I appreciate the words. Uh, and audience, thank you for hearing me out on this. I try I, I I didn't go here in the past couple of weeks, but it's obviously something relevant, so I'm sharing it. But you know, if if we brought my other family member here, Yuri, he would be focusing his attention if I can channel him on the social media bands. and i I, I could I would suspect, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but either he or people who have his sort of strain of conservatism. Are highly suspicious of big tech companies and their power. And we were met this week with news that Twitter has banned Trump indefinitely uh, and that Amazon, Apple, a bunch of other companies have purged uh, a host of different accounts and sites, uh, including parlor, uh, which is a kind of Twitter clone uh, that is um both financed by uh, right wing funders like Rebecca Mercer uh, and populated by members of the right wing. Um, There's a lot of contours to this. I'm not going to go through all the details of it all, but uh, what do we think about this? Is this the right move? Are we worried about any unintended consequences? Is there even an alternative to what's what's happening here?
1: I have two contradictory positions, so I'd like to argue with myself on your podcast.
0: You're really good at
2: this, Diana. By the way, this is a good time to uh, mention that I forgot to plug at the beginning. Diana has her own podcast, Professional AF, which is really good, which is evidenced by what a good podcast. I'll guest I just argue you are. with
1: myself. Okay, uh, point number one: I'm totally in favor of banning any kind of rhetoric that incites violence or organizes violent overthrows of our government. That's I strongly believe that.
2: That uh, it seems like a reasonable position to
0: me.
1: Yeah, um, I, I agree
0: with that. Yeah. Our
1: argument number two. I would say welcome to our conservative friends who for a long time I believe are under some mistaken belief that if the government is not a strong form of government that people will be dancing free in the streets and that is not what's going to happen either the government makes decisions about our lives or corporations make decisions about our lives and I would like to welcome them to the good fight against corporations being in power and if you really want to understand this point of view The way I did um, is through a book called Jennifer Government by Max Berry. It is he's my favorite author. He's not a political author, but it is the answer to Ayn Rand's novel where he creates a future where the government is so weak that everything is run by corporations and they hire people to murder others like for marketing benefit. I mean, they're a hundred percent in charge and I, I welcome people into the fight to prevent them from deciding the air that we breathe and the water that we drink and what we read on the internet.
2: Those are both great arguments. I'm not sure they're contradictory.
1: Well, on the one hand I'm a hundred percent for banning that kind of language. And on the other hand, yeah. I do um, disagree You know, I I don't want corporations to have unfettered control over our lives.
2: So there's no question in my mind that Jack Dorsey's decision to ban Trump from Twitter, at least over this last several days, saved people's lives. I just do not doubt it at all. And that much
0: I know. I share Diana's sort of bundle of contradictions in the sense that I think that any speech and this is both the legal standard if this were the government banning speech but these are obviously private companies that uh barring a certain circumstance that we'll I'll talk about in a second can do whatever the heck they want in terms of who can be on their platform or not uh and they've had no greater defenders than the GOP for that look at certain cases like the bakers who didn't want to serve same-sex couples for example right like the the, the, the biggest defenders of private enterprises ability to make decisions even if they're totally arbitrary, uh, have been the members of the GOP, and we have a pretty like strict First Amendment culture, not even just law here in this country. Um, that kind of goes like I think head to head with uh, what I just said, and I think if if there's something that's inciting violence directly or can reasonably be seen to to incite violence in the near term then you, I think absolutely companies should be taking that down. I think anything beyond that, I start to get a little bit skeptical. They could do it. It's just a question of, do I think it's right if they do it or not? And I think certain things like YouTube, for instance, announcing that it was taken down, All videos, if I read this correctly, that question the outcome of the election, then I start getting a little bit skeptical, especially if you believe that these companies have a monopoly. If they don't have a monopoly, no big deal. Then people take their business elsewhere. It's neither here nor there. But if it's not speech that directly incites violence, and we could debate whether that stuff does or or it doesn't. But I think questioning the outcome of an election is the kind of thing we should be really careful to, to protect in our First Amendment, even if it's insane, the logic of it.
2: What is, I think, an interesting part of this is that clearly, I think, in the, in, in the immediate moment, I, I do think that given like the sort of internal revolt among employees at Twitter that started this, I think that this was basically a moral choice, right? I mean, this was a, a very rare thing, which was a corporation deciding that it didn't want to be morally responsible for the events that could come uh, during this period. But... In the long run, I think that these choices are made because they don't want to be legally responsible. Look, I think there's going to be, for instance, civil suits which which will have a lot of merit against Donald Trump when he leaves office, uh, having to do with the deaths at the Capitol. And and I think that there are legal arguments to be made uh, that you could bring those against against the very same companies that we're talking about. And so, it, what is a weird twist in this is that the the way I guess that ultimately the Republicans get around. That I guess is to do what they try to do with all other corporate immunity is to try to, they could try to craft laws that say you cannot be sued for stuff that's on your platform that you didn't write, which I think would be wrong. I, I think that that they would They want the be opposite. Right. They want the
0: opposite. Holly's been trying to get rid of section 230, which basically does the opposite. And so they, I, there's actually no position here. Like Like he, Holly up until this point wants- one, it's Parler, for example, to be totally liable for any violence that people coordinate on their platform, and I'd be interested to see what he comes out saying now. Like, so he's so he both believes that Parler should be liable for what happens on his platform, and then by extension, like anybody who works with Parler, like AWS, but then AWS can't kick Parler off if they think that Parler is being violent. That's like an incoherent position, right? right? I mean, that's my yeah. point. It
2: makes no sense to yeah. say that you are liable. But you are prohibited from doing anything to limit your. Own oh, I see.
0: Yeah. So you're you're saying, yeah. I mean, for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm it's, interested to see what the distinguished senator from Missouri has to say in, it, in the days ahead uh, about this. this I, I, know, I know he's
2: a. I know he's a uh, an avid listener. Um, and, <laughs> well, and and the last part of this that I think adds to the hypocrisy of it is that this is the only way in which they think that these that these companies. Uh, should be limited in their power, right? Like if you if you talk to them about any of the economics of being the the big tech companies, you know, it is exclusively that they don't like that they have accumulated power electorally. When never mind the fact that they liked it fine when it got Donald Trump elected president. I
1: feel like that's the philosophy of the other side. Like, wait, this impacts me now. Right. I am concerned.
2: Yeah, not. Oh, wait, this is violent. It's oh, wait. It impacts us now, what you're doing. you know, not not this stops violence. It's oh, but the violence is being perpetrated by people who tend to vote for us.
0: Yeah. And there's something else going on here, which is also like this addiction to victimhood. You know, there's the people who are just straight up supportive of the Capitol insurrection. And then there are other people who will will like the Rubios of the world who'll give lip service to the yes, I condemn it. And then they'll quickly uh pivot to that. Like we're the victims now, we need to be careful about this or that. like what about b l m What about antifa et cetera? You know
1: can I add uh to victimhood uh the fact that nothing is their responsibility, so all of the people calling for unity are not actually themselves calling for unity, they're calling on Democrats to call for unity, yeah. and yeah. like they have nothing to do. It's always like you you're the you're the parent, you fix it right. <laughs> We're just going to keep causing trouble.
0: Yeah, no. Yeah, you know what unify this country is like accepting the free and fair election that we just had. That would be (laughs) very unifying for this country. Given the fact that I I haven't been in the country, but I'm also a huge Buffalo Bills fan, I needed to figure out a way to watch the game this weekend. And I actually turned to our good friends at ExpressVPN, and I VPNed uh, into my cable provider and was able to watch uh, the greatest football team in history defeat the Indianapolis Colts. And, you know, that's only possible because of ExpressVPN. uh, And there's so many uses for it. These internet service providers they can operate like monopolies uh, in the regions that they serve, and they use it to take advantage of customers. They have data caps, streaming throttles, the list goes on. But worst of all, they can log your internet activity and sell your data and give it to big tech companies. To prevent them from doing that and from seeing your activity, we use ExpressVPN. So what is ExpressVPN? It's a simple
2: app for your computer or your smartphone that encrypts all your network data and tunnels it through a secure VPN server so that your ISP cannot see any of your activity.
1: It's but, like a big bouncer that walks with you on the internet. And like anytime bad guys come out, they're like, no, don't, don't bother over here. This is protected.
2: You're good at this. So stop handing over your personal data to ISPs and other tech giants who mine your activity and sell off your information. Protect yourself with the VPN that we trust to keep us private online. Visit expressvpn.com majority54. That's e x dot majority54 to get three extra months free. Go to expressvpn.com majority54 right now to learn more.
0: On this episode, I talk about how anxious I've been over the the past week, as I imagine many of our listeners have been. And I've turned to our friends at Headspace. You know, it's our daily dose of mindfulness, and they have guided meditations in an easy to use app. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of
2: mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Overwhelmed? Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Need some help falling asleep? Headspace has wind-down sessions. I use those all the time.
1: Can I jump in here and be like, done it? Yeah.
2: We're big fans in this house. Have been for a long time.
1: Not all of us are yogis who can just sit in silence for an hour some of us need somebody to hold our hand through it and that's why headspace i I mean i've been doing it for years and i clearly haven't graduated from it it's amazing
2: yeah same headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits 600,000 five-star reviews and over 60 million downloads headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule anytime you deserve to feel happier. And Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash m54. That's headspace.com slash m54 for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash m54 today.
1: It's a good deal.
0: Let's go to our quarantine corner. Uh, what's happening in your lives? I'll go first.
2: I am, and this is going to sound like a weird flex type humble brag, but Ravi, I think you'll understand what I mean. I am trying to get myself to work out less um, because I've, I've been starting to just hurt and I think I've been overtraining. Diana tells me that it's because I'm turning 40 in a few months and I need to like come to... Uh, sort of terms with the fact that maybe I can't do the same things. I, I think that's just silly talk. That can't be it. Uh, so I'm just I'm just seeing if I can cut down to like three or four days a week in the gym.
1: It's not a <laughs> humble brag. You're getting older and things hurt.
0: Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> what about you, Diana?
1: You know, my professional job is to travel and speak and meet people. And I have had gone a year without doing that. And it's been really, I guess, isolating. And I didn't know how much I missed it. And I have been venturing out on LinkedIn and reconnecting with people that I used to work with. And it feels like for me personally, the uh, isolation part of the pandemic is like almost non-existent because I'm connecting with so many people uh, on the LinkedIn platform. And that's been an incredible outlet for me.
2: You're also producing like a lot more content now for social and you're interacting with a lot more people that way too. But
1: like that kind of interaction is making up for everything that I used to get at at going to events and and traveling. And I've I've just been so surprised on my own how much it's made up for it.
0: Nice. That's awesome. I haven't talked about what I've been up to for a little while, partially because uh, I left the country right after the election and was only planning to leave for a week or two but uh, two things happened. One was COVID got a lot worse back home and it, it didn't seem reasonable to, to fly if I could hang out here. And and here is Costa Rica. And the other part is Costa Rica is pretty cool. And it's like uh, not a bad place to work remotely. But I refrained from talking about it just because you know COVID got a lot, lot worse. And it seemed weird to be talking about surfing and all that. But I figure this is where I am. And a lot of our listeners follow me on Instagram anyway. And I You know, we'll tweet about it and stuff like that. And I'll just give a surfing status update, which is I've gotten a lot better and a lot more confident uh, out in the water. I had this period of time where I was like flying, making all kinds of improvement. And then the past two weeks happened where I've just gotten in a bit of a rut. And this morning was so bad. The waves got so big and they're so fast here uh, that I broke a fin over my knee. Uh, and almost lost my board while I was out there. Um, and so I'm the last time I checked in, I, I was dealing with my fear of drowning. And then there was this long confident period, of which I promise you, listeners, I was really not. Uh, as afraid, and now I'm afraid again, and so I'm just reporting back that I'm exactly where I was last time. So I mean, I have a lot more skill for sure, but my psychology hasn't changed as it relates to waves. They're they're very scary.
2: <laughs> well, I will I will again check in on the pro you not drowning uh, side because um, honestly, like I'm not sure that I keep the podcast going uh, if I you know, and also like we're friends.
0: Let's talk about This Week in Misinformation. And uh, what I want to talk about is something I've heard a lot from people in my life, which is this this thing going around the internet that Antifa somehow was responsible for the capital insurrection. And I could already channel Jason, which is Jason will inevitably say, the people who believe that, don't worry, you're not going to be able to convince them otherwise. Absolutely. But this is for the situations when other people are liable to, to be listening, whether it's like a Facebook post that... Other people who aren't as informed could be persuaded by or you're at some kind of uh, dinner table where other family members who, who are on the fence could uh, hear this. So I just want to give you a little bit of ammo on this and then talk about like what's happening here, why this is even something that we have to respond to. Um, there's one variant of this, which is the Washington Times reported that a facial recognition company had identified Antifa members in the Capitol when they looked through the footage. Uh, then that company came out with a statement and said, no, actually they were Nazis. <laughs> they weren't Antifa. Antifa. Um, And then the Washington Times had to retract its story. In addition to that, the FBI has come out and said that there's no indication that there are any members of Antifa who were there. But I can say this for sure. If there was even one person who was Antifa who was there, believe me, uh, the right will find that person and they will try to lead everybody to believe that that was the entire crowd. And even if they weren't there, there was no Antifa person there, they will invent that person because that's basically what they're doing right now. Because they cannot accept the fact that Trump incited this mob, and then it was Trump supporters and members of the right wing who did this. That's what I think the story here is, is that they just cannot, to what Diana said, bear any responsibility for their words and their actions. That's my take. What do you two think?
1: I feel like this is a red herring. I don't even want to talk yeah. about this. Because we should be, We, I mean, when somebody says that to me, I'm like, okay, just agree. Anybody who is in the Capitol should be arrested and jailed. Like, I don't care if they were part of the Blue Man group. They should be in jail i i think that insurrection should be illegal and i think that this is the, like part of the what about and part of the uh tricks that people use to keep us from actually trying to solve problems
2: so ravi this is an occasion where i actually was not gonna say you you gotta ignore those people because i feel like like we can't allow this to to get any roots it'll grow right it'll grow into a piece of the it, this is like if if we didn't take seriously the nine eleven 11 truther stuff and like try and and counter it every you know because when people were doing that like serious people were like no that's bullshit we're not going to go for that and they would really stamp it out this to me is the same it's a historical event not unlike 9-11 and you can't allow this to be an acceptable alternative you know revisionist history of this and so as a result like i think if you hear it you have to really strongly challenge it and to me the strongest way to challenge it is let me get this straight you're saying that people on our side of things showed up to try to stop the certification of an election that we won yeah w- wait a minute like an insurrection against a government that was that was changing to away from the people that antifa you know that that group i mean it's they're literally called anti fascists like you don't have to you don't have to be okay with any of their tactics which you know i don't i again like going back to i don't know anybody anti in antifa i don't think it's an organized thing i have no idea but like if i did i'd be like no that's not okay i would like turn them into the fbi if they had gone and done violent things but again like anti-fascism is not Like, let's have an insurrection in order to install fascists.
0: Yeah, I think what they're saying is a false flag operation. And so it's insane. I know. And I'm with Diana. Well, then let, I let's into, debate that. that. Like, how how would you do that? Here's what I recommend to the audience is like, I, I often don't recommend people commit things to memory or anything like that because you can't litigate every fact that it exists because it's just tedious. This is one historical event that I, I recommend people actually deeply understand because it will come up for the rest of your life. and I And I want to start where we started this pod, which is as as you both recommended read the speech uh that the president gave and understand this and and then i'll paint to you the kind of like this is how you can make somebody look a little silly who makes these claims so on december uh 19th 17th, January 1st, and January 3rd, the president promoted on Twitter this rally, right? So he's asking his supporters to go, and he wanted them to come challenge the results. Then the night before, he tweeted a threat, basically. He says, I hope Democrats and the weak and ineffective rhinos are looking to the thousands of people pouring into DC. They won't stand for a landslide election to be stormed. So you have to also believe that the president asked these people to come. Then the night before uh, is like giddy about them coming, but is misunderstood that he's now asked a bunch of Antifa false flag people, not his own supporters supporters to come then on the day he gives a speech to them which we've now covered well where he basically incites them to violence uh and then asks them to go down to the capitol Then they stormed the Capitol in all of his gear, and then we've now arrested a bunch of them, and they have very confirmed conservative uh, and very right-wing views. And then afterwards, the president tweets, we love you. You're very special. Remember this day forever. So the president has been misunderstood every step of the way that he's been asking his own supporters to come to the Capitol. He asked them to go to the Capitol at his rally. Uh, We arrest them. They're confirmed right-wingers. And then afterwards, he praises them. And he is just that dumb that he doesn't know that he's just been speaking to a whole group of Antifa people and only Antifa people this whole time. That's what you have to believe.
2: It's the ultimate boogeyman, right? Because, and it and it's a perfect target, right? Because, I, like I said, none of us know anybody who's Antifa, and people who are Antifa like they cover their faces, they hide their identity. So it is a perfect, it's a perfect straw man for them to consistently put out there and say, well, they were there because nobody knows who they are in most cases anyway.
1: Look, nobody who overthrows a government, again, I come from a place where they do it all the time. Nobody who overthrows a government does like, we're going to make lives worse for everybody. They're fighting a bad guy and they need to create this persona where they can tell you who the bad guys are. They can't use the Democrats because it's very easy to see what a Democrat is, right? They can name Antifa uh, nobody can say no we're not Tifa. like nobody can disown it because it's not a thing and so it's a great uh, nemesis for for organizing their people during covid the amount of domestic violence has increased Uh, sharply. And in this time of divisiveness and encouraged uh, violence, uh, domestic violence is continuing to go up. So Jason and I have been big supporters of a local domestic violence shelter called New House. Uh, There's a local shelter wherever you live. Uh, If you want to support ours, it's newhousekc.org. But um, they need resources now more than ever so that uh, women and children have a safe place to stay
2: all right also a great way to support the show and share the majority 54 love is to purchase one of the gravin shirts, shirts uh, which you can get at wondermedianetwork.com slash bonfire uh, remember, you can leave us a voicemail. Let us know what you're contending with uh, and what you'd like help responding to. That voicemail again is 508 687 2589. 508 687 2589. I'm going to one more time tell people uh, that Diana has her own podcast. It's called Professional AF. It's very, very good. You can get it wherever you listen to this podcast. But it it's
1: not political. Oh, and it Let's is. Let's just do not, that warning. It's
2: not political, yeah you want to describe it no okay uh you'll just have to go and find <laughs> out uh i'm at jason kander on instagram and twitter uh diana is at diana kander on instagram and twitter and are there others? and linkedin okay um ravi is at ravi and gupta on twitter and instagram our show is at majority 54 on twitter remember we all have a platform make sure to use yours today
0: Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and Edie Allard. Theme music provided by Kenneth Coleman. Special thanks, of course, to Diana Kander. And also thanks to Rydon Nosara for the free space for recording. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Lucas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard Professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.